Right, so just by way of reminder, as we've begun working our way through verse by verse through this, uh, through this letter, Paul's second epistle to Timothy, um, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon are commonly known as the prison epistles or the pastoral epistles also. Um, the pastoral epistles written from prison. Paul is right now in Rome. He is on death row. He is about to be beheaded for his faith in Jesus Christ, for serving the Lord, for sharing the gospel. And these are his last words written to, and you guys remember Timothy, he was at this time overseeing the work in Ephesus, pastoring the church there. And Paul is giving him uh, a series of exhortations, commands, instructions um, before he goes home to be with Jesus. And so as we look at this, um, Paul knew exactly what Timothy needed to hear. And I would say this morning, the Lord knows exactly what we need to hear this morning as well. Um, Paul's exhortation we're going to see this morning as we work our way through chapter 2 is that, uh, is that Timothy would not quit serving the Lord, that he would endure hardship and difficulty and um, doing things the Lord's way and finishing well. And, and I pray my prayer for us as a family, as a congregation, um, continually is that every one of us would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so um, let's jump into uh, God's Word this morning. As Paul writes, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all Things. And so let me draw your attention to verse 1. The Apostle Paul affectionately now, um, as we turn into chapter 2 here, he affectionately refers to Timothy as his son. And remember, uh, Paul was the one that, um, that took Timothy under his wing as a spiritual uh, father looking at Timothy. And he gives him now a series of exhortations to his beloved son in the faith. And the first one is what? To be strong or literally increase or be strengthened or empowered in what? In the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great thing to be reminded of, to be strong in grace. That should be our major, by the way. We should major in grace. Amen? God deals with us on the basis of grace. Correct? We are saved by grace through faith beautiful thing. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't work for our salvation. We simply put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus gives us grace upon grace or layer upon layer of grace. We are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Peter would write. And so what is grace? Grace is undeserved, unearned kindness, loving kindness or favor that God gives to us, his children, his blessings, his benefits, I would say also his strength and ability that is given to us as well. What do you mean strength and ability? Remember um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul um, reminded the church about his thorn in the flesh, right? And he says this thing, this, whatever this painful thing was that the Lord allowed him to have, He pleaded with Jesus three times, remove this. Please take this away from me. Get this out of my life. You guys ever pray that way? Maybe you're dealing with some, maybe it's it's not a something, maybe it's a someone. And what did Jesus say? I'm not going to remove that. I got something way better. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul took that from the Lord and he applied that to every area of his life. In afflictions, in difficulties, in hardships, whatever I'm going through, Jesus has the grace, the strength that is sufficient for me to endure, to walk through, to thrive no matter what's going on in my life as I look to him. And it's important to realize that God gives grace. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We always want to stay in that place of humility and brokenness, recognizing, Lord, I need you. I need your strength. I need your ability, your wisdom. Because if he resists the proud, when I'm proud, I say, Lord, I don't need you. I got this thing. Or I know better than you, Lord. I'm going to do this, step out or do whatever. And he's like, okay. And then there's blockage there. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so Paul reminds Timothy here, what? Be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Find your strength in. Be confident in the grace of our Lord Jesus. His grace fuels us. His grace sustains us. And listen, doesn't grace feel good? Does it feel good to receive grace? So not only receive God's grace, but also give God's grace. I think it's sad. Sometimes you go to a church that's called grace, and you don't get any grace there. (laughs) But it feels good to receive grace. Jesus said the measure you use, it will be measured to, to you. The mercy you give to others, the forgiveness, the love that you pour out, the grace that you give others, it will be measured back to you. And we can use like, you guys ever see, you guys ever cook? You guys ever bake? Anybody here ever bake? You got those little, I just was watching my girls bake and they got those little teeny measuring spoons. It goes down from like tablespoon and I'm sure like one quarter, one quarter teaspoon, is that right? Gordon, you know what I'm talking about, the little teeny ones, right? Like a little pinch. Little dabble, do you? Listen, you can either give a little dab, a little pinch, a little quarter tea, teaspoon of grace to people, or you can get a bucket full. And Jesus says, whatever measure you use, I'm going to measure it in your life as well. 
And so we need to be reminded of this, not only Timothy, but I need to be reminded. This. Grace feels good to receive it. And so I want to be someone that blesses others and gives grace to others. Amen. And so that's the only kind of strength there. Any other kind of strength, by the way, is phony too. It's smoke and mirrors. It's pretend. We need to trust in his grace, his strength. And then Paul goes on to say, look at verse 2 with me. And the things that you have heard from me. What did Paul hear? Or what did Timothy hear from the gospel? Yeah. As we continue to read through this section on to the end of the letter, he heard the word of God. Over and over and over again, the truth of God's word. And Paul didn't just say, hey, here, come, let me, tell, let me just say this in front of you. Paul communicated the truth in front of, what does it say? Many witnesses. Many people could go on record and say, Paul gave us the word of God. He taught us the word of God. He shared the scriptures simply with us. He took the Old Testament scriptures and helped us understand about Jesus. He helped us understand who God is, how to walk with God. And now, Paul says to Timothy, those things that you've heard from me, what is he to do? Timothy was to take what he received from Paul and invest it with brilliant men. What does your Bible say? What kind of What kind of people? Faithful men. Faithfulness, by the way, is a requirement for us as Christians. It is required in a steward that he be found faithful. Again, we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, right? That means we have to be faithful with that which we've received from God's word to, be, to commit it now to invest the word of God in others. This, by the way, this is a beautiful, basic discipleship model right here. To commit what you've received to reliable, trustworthy men who also, look what it says, who also will be able to instruct others in the word of God. Isn't that beautiful? And so let's just begin with the immediate context. The immediate context is, Timothy, this is what you're to do. Timothy, go find some more Timothys that'll make some more Timothys, is the idea. Are you guys still with me this morning? Do you guys get hand-me-downs? Anybody get hand-me-downs in their family? These are good hand-me-downs. Some people get hand-me-downs like, man, that's all, that's got holes in it, right? Holes in this, it's all worn out. This is what a good hand-me-down is right here, is to pass along the word of God that we, listen, we should be eternally grateful for all of those that have handed the word of God down to us. And so, this was Timothy's responsibility. In order for him to be an effective minister, for the church to to thrive and to grow, Timothy was to do what? To multiply the teaching ministry at the church. This is how we, by the way, this is how we grow in faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Not fanciful stories and all kinds of other, that's how we grow in our faith, how we grow in our trust of Jesus by getting into the word of God and allowing the word of God to get into us. We need solid, sound teaching in the body of Christ. And so Timothy, be on the lookout for faithful men, reliable men 
trustworthy men. I would say and women too, by the way. Because there were some faithful, reliable women that poured into Timothy too, weren't there? Didn't we learn that in chapter 1? What, was, what were their names? Uh, it sounded right. Good, good Bible names for babies, baby girls. Ready? Your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. There you go. Listen, these things need to be passed on to the next generation. The truth of God's word must be transferred and committed to faithful people who will pass it on. The cycle should never stop with us. Not only in the church, but in our homes. And uh, man, we have the Bible. We're part of God's kingdom because faithful men and women passed it on to us. Amen? And then Paul gives um, three illustrations or metaphors in verses 3 through 6 um, concerning Christian life and ministry. So let's, let's look at this together. Verse 3, Paul goes on and says, You therefore should think about enduring hardship. What does he say? You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's interesting. This week I got to spend time with a couple of veterans uh, it's so awesome. And just to hear them talk about their service. Because I asked them, because we're in this portion, it wasn't an accident, I got to see these people. I got to ask them about being a soldier. What is it like? What's it like being in, in battle? And soldiers sign up, right? They are some recruited, they take an oath, they go through basic training, right? I mean, Paul's using this illustration because it relates to us, or this metaphor, because it relates to us in our Christian life and in our service for Jesus Christ. And so we too have joined the Lord's army, correct? We've chosen to respond to the call, to fight the good fight, to fight in this spiritual battle. And here's the thing, when you go into, as a normal soldier, when you go into battle, it's not just you shooting at people, they're shooting at you. It's difficult. It's hard. There's risks. There's a price to pay. It takes discipline. You can't afford to be distracted. It's life and death critical that you do your job, that you pay attention, that you don't get distracted. Is any of this ringing a bell in the spiritual life, spiritual ministry? If not, I'm praying, like Paul prayed for Timothy, that the Lord would give you and me understanding on this, is what he says there in verse 8, or verse 7 rather, that the Lord would give us understanding. He would help us, in other words, connect the dots in our life to apply this as being good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds Timothy, you got to stay in there. You You have to endure hardship. When things get rugged, when things get difficult, Timothy, when you're afflicted, when things are hard, you can't bail out. You can't take the big chicken dinner and run home to mommy. You need to hang in there to press on, to bear up under the load. Timothy, you and I, we are good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a part of the army of the living God. Do you know that we're in the middle of a war right now? And I know, you know some people say, 
don't forget, Pastor, we're fighting from victory, not for victory. You know how many times I've heard that over the years? And I'm like, today I'm going to face so many battles. <laughs> oh, yeah, the war's been won on the cross. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, I know where I'm headed. Jesus is going to welcome me into his everlasting arms with well done. I can't wait to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. But right here and right now, there's a battle every single day. And I can choose to battle in grace, trusting in his strength, or I can try to do it in my own strength. Do you know what I'm talking about? You guys ever blow it? You guys ever make mistakes? Don't be lying in church. You ever know? <laughs> We blow it. And the Lord has what? He has grace and mercy, forgiveness to help us keep, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. He gives us another shot, a second chance. He's with us to keep us going in the battle. But there's a battle every single day. And the war that we are in, listen, not just as a pastor, not just as a minister, not just as a servant of the Lord, but as a man before God, listen, lives are on the line every day. Eternity is in the balance every day, the people we come in contact with. Some of them, it may be the final time you get to share with them the love of Jesus Christ before time expires. You may be the last link in the chain of people that God is using to try to bring them out of destruction and heading towards eternity and hell. That's a reality. War is a reality. And a good soldier, they tr the soldiers face tremendous hardship, exhaustion, and they can't quit. They can't run. they got to hang in there. A good soldier doesn't quit no matter how tough things get. How do we keep from quitting? We remember who we are serving, who we're fighting for. It's the Lord. Good soldier of who? Of Jesus Christ. Remember who you're doing it for. Amen. Remember, he's with you. You're not alone. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians. And so he goes on. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Again, you can't get distracted on the battlefield. You can't, correct? For a soldier, he's not going, you know, tech, getting online. I even asked my friend this. Would you go online and check your stocks, your portfolio? How's Kelsey and uh, Taylor are doing? I wonder how, what they're doing now. Where did they go last week? <laughs> you can't be doing that. On the, on the, people are shooting at you. Correct, correct? I'm just, I wasn't a soldier, but Paul says no soldier in battle in the midst of conflict gets caught up in, literally entangles means to be woven into or braided into what is going on with the things of the world, pursuits and occupations pertaining to civil life. And notice it's the affairs of this life in contrast to the life to come. In other words, to engage in eternal things, we mustn't be all caught up in temporal things. Why? 
What, give me one good reason. Look at the end of the verse. That we may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Who enlisted us, by the way? Jesus did. So the one engaged in battle wants to make happy, wants to fulfill the desires of, that's what the word please means, the one who has chosen him, the commanding officer. And we are in, the, again, the Lord's army, and my lifelong job is to please my Jesus. That's real simple. And to be reminded that lives are at stake. I realize every time I stand in the pulpit here or everywhere I go, I have a pulpit. And you do too. God's provided an opportunity. He's rescued us, saved us. He didn't just like rapture us home yet. He's left us here to do what? To be salt and to be light, to be his good soldiers in the battlefield that he's called us to. And so you're going to get shot at. Do you know that? Do you know you're going to get shot at? Maybe sooner than than later, really getting shot at. I don't know, the way things are rolling out. But listen, the enemy will have his fiery darts, right? Ding, ding, he's going to come at you. And what do we do? Run? Oh, we lift up the shield of faith, right? And what does it do? Extinguishes the fiery darts. Don't pick up the darts and try to examine them and learn about them. Just, Just gone. The world will shoot at you. Sadly, we get friendly fire in the church, too. Because our tongues, if, if the devil can't come from the outside, he'll stir it up in the inside with gossip and slant, false accusations. Let me encourage you, if that's you gossiping and stuff, man, don't let allow the devil to use your tongue to do damage to those fighting in the battle for Jesus. And so... The exhortation to Timothy is what? Man, limit, limit the distractions in your life. Stay focused, man. Stay focused on what Jesus has called you to do. Don't get engaged in all caught up in the things that don't really matter. You're involved in things that are life and death. And listen, nothing can rise above your calling as a good soldier as the, in the, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's listen, each one of us has a place in the battle. It may be in the workplace, it may be in your neighborhood, maybe in school. But wherever the Lord has you, man, you're in the battle right there. And the Lord wants to use your life in a special way for his glory and for the furtherance of his kingdom. Metaphor number two, what does he say? And also, if anyone competes in athletics, and so Paul uses this illustration related to the spiritual life of the believer, this time an Olympic athlete. I think in the Greek it speaks literally of a wrestler or someone that's, in, that's, that's, that's uh, involved in that sport, Greco-Roman wrestling or whatever it's called. And so, man, it takes hard work, doesn't it, to be a professional athlete or to be an Olympic athlete? Does it take hard work? Or do you just watch YouTube and drink Red Bulls and... correct does it take discipline hard work saying no to certain stuff correct I mean to be a professional athlete sometimes you have to say no to certain things to be an Olympic athlete 
to win the gold medal. You can't be out all night partying and, and doing stuff. You, you got to watch your diet. There's discipline. There's training. You push through the training. Repetition. You do things over and over. Can, can you see some application to us spiritually, our lives? And again, maybe this is having, maybe, maybe you've been walking with Jesus, but none of this has been applicable in your life. And I, again, I pray today the Lord will give you understanding in this. Because to win the gold, to win the medal, to win the crown, in those days it was a wreath. It took hard work, dedication, discipline, self-control. Same way for us as believers. I mean, we want to get a crown, don't we? We want to be rewarded by the Lord. Paul said in, uh, if you're taking notes, I'm going to read it real quick. It's over in 1 Corinthians chapter, I think it's in chapter 9. I do. It is chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. He's talking about, he's talking about running and he's talking about MMA here too, by the way. How cool is that? Is that cool? No, you don't. I think Paul likes sports. He uses sports as an doesn't he use sports as an illustration? Bible students quite often. It wasn't because he heard about it. Man, what do those runners do? I don't think he was watching though, like UFC uh, last night, saying, "I hope this guy rips this dude's head off." Hope he chokes him out, and I think he was saying, man, you know what? There's application here to our walk. There's application spiritually for me in this, as I'm watching this, as I'm checking this out. Because listen to what he says to the Corinthians. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And again, this is a sports-saturated, sports-crazy culture, just like ours. They knew exactly what Paul's talking about. And he says, hey, you know everybody's running in the race, but one gets the prize. Some are in it, yeah, some are in it to get the free bag, right, the free T-shirt, I ran the race. I ran the Boston Marathon. Yeah, right. You ran a block and then hopped into your rig and... Some people run, you know, you know what I'm saying? And then they put a little sticker on the back of their car, 10K or 45K. Or... Some people run to, to win. And that's what he says here. Run that way. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. What does temperate mean? Exercises self-control. That's what temperate means. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown made of leaves, but we for an imperishable crown, a crown that you and I will have for all eternity, and we get to throw it at the feet of Jesus in worship and adoration. How glorious. I don't want to be asking someone to borrow their crown once in a while. See how it feels. Therefore, Paul says, I run thus, not with uncertainty, not all willy-nilly. Thus I fight, 
Not as one who beats the air. I'm not throwing punches all over. I mean, they're directed right at the target. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Why? Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Everyone catch that? Paul wanted to remain usable to the Lord and not be disqualified. And great athletes... They sacrifice the present for the future. They'll lay aside things, put aside things, recognize what they need to do in order to achieve the goal that they've set to win the award. And he says, let's come back to 2 Timothy with me, and he says what? He says, the Olympic athlete will not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. If he cheats, he's going to be disqualified. It happens a lot, doesn't it? It's interesting to hear all the guys in, in baseball now that got popped for steroids. And you see them, it's interesting, because you see them, you know, you're playing with them one year, and then you come into spring training, and they look like the Hulk coming in. And I'm like, dude, how'd you, what, what, man, that's not from good, clean living, bro. <laughs> what are you taking, man? Cre- it's creatine, bro. It ain't creatine. I've been, I've been taking everything I possibly can legally to get as strong as I can, and I'm not as jacked as you, bro. Sorry, let's get back to the text. Uh, listen, a lot of athletes try to get an edge by cheating. And Paul's saying here, what? Learn from the athlete. One poor decision, one compromise can cost you. You've worked your whole life for this. You've trained, you're wrestling, you're running, you're stuffed, and then all of a sudden, man, you're running the race and you cut across the infield. <laughs> or you take something you shouldn't have been taking, performance-enhancing drugs. Is that the correct term? <laughs> and listen, you can know all the moves, you can know all the techniques, you can win the match, but if you don't follow the rules, you're going to get disqualified. That's what Paul's saying here. There's no shortcuts. Listen, you know there's no shortcuts in the spiritual life. Some people think, you know what, I'm, going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to go on to maturity, and it's going to happen by YouTube videos and osmosis. I'm going to put my Bible next to my bed, and it's just going to... And, and, and don't we say, uh, I don't know about you, man, I wish I had a walk like Paul. Man, I wish I, man, that'd be so great to be used like Paul. Do you know how much suffering that dude went through? You read about his life. It's like, I'll take the correspondence course. <laughs> That's how I want to get there. Tremendous suffering and pushing through it and enduring. No shortcuts. There is no shortcuts to spiritual life, besides spending time with Jesus every day, reading your Bible and praying and taking steps of faith and watching him work by his grace in your life, being obedient to his call, playing by the rule book. What's the rule book? The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Correct? In our service for Jesus, he gives us the instructions on how to do his work his way. Correct? He didn't say, again, he didn't say Google it, you'll find out how to do it. Go to the bookstore, 
and look it up. He gave us, he gave us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We're going to read later. Listen to what it says later in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, how much is all? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Don't miss this. 2 Timothy 3.17. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You're telling me all I need is my Bible? I'm not telling you. Paul's telling us. The Holy Spirit is telling us today. 66 books, major in the 66 books. Can I encourage you? Don't major in what what someone else says. Major in the book, the rule book. Jesus gives us plenty of instruction how to speak, how we're to treat people, how we're to do marriage, how we're to do friendship, how we're to do life, and life works when we do it his way. We play by the rules. No shortcuts to being used by God and being effective, growing spiritually. It takes hard work, digging deep into his word, and I would say also handling the things of God with honor. Competing according to the rules. I, I don't take, you guys know this, I don't take myself that super seriously. I take God's word pretty seriously and him pretty seriously. It's not just another Sunday. It's not just another Bible. Oh, another Bible study, another Sunday, another prayer meeting. Because we can get that indifference and apathy. You and I are meeting with Almighty God to sing to Him, to hear from Him. Worship means I'm saying you're worth it, Lord. I'm giving you my attention my obedience, my faith, my trust. Otherwise, it's lip service, man. We want to be good soldiers. We want to be athletes that compete according to the rules that we would be crowned by our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't play fast and loose with the things of God. We honor Him. We play according to the rules. Amen? We got one more person. We got time? Yeah, we do. Sweet. The hardworking farmer. We got any farmers here? Want to be farmers? <laughs> you probably wouldn't be here if you're a farmer. You go to a church close to your farm. Because, listen, here's what I've learned from farmers, and I've met a few and talked to them, and here's what I've learned. Hard farmers are successful. Lazy farmers don't make it. I think it's pretty fair to say. Because what does Paul say? The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. So successful farmers work hard. Lazy farmers don't last very long. And by the way, in those days, it, it was, everything was done by hand. Today, you've got lots of ways to, to, to till up the soil, right? Mechanized uh, things to help bring in the crops, But in those days, and in lots of places around the world, it's all done by hand. The threshing, all of that stuff to to make sure that you have a successful season, breaking up the hard ground, the fallow ground, casting the seeds, all of that was done by hand. Super hard work. A lot of it's done that way also today in places. And so he says, and it's interesting how he puts this, he says, the hardworking farmer 
must be first to partake of the crops. I've been wrestling with this all week long. So this farmer must be the first one to take to himself the fruit of his labors. He is to grab hold and make it his own. In other words, he must be nourished before he can nourish others. Does that make sense? I think, how important is that for us spiritually? I'm hearing you, Mike. I can't wait to get out there. I'm going to go share. I'm going to go. Make sure you're nourished first. You can't give what you don't got. It's like, like COVID or whatever. You can't give it unless you got it. Right? I don't know. That's a bad illustration. Sorry. Measles. <laughs> We can't give what we don't have. I think I, sh- I don't know if I shared this. Wednesday, um, all the services all week long started to kind of just blend. You know when Jesus says, hey, when they bring you before magistrates and synagogues and, and, and people, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you what to say in that very hour. And there's actually people that, I, that I've known that have said, that means I don't need to prepare to teach this Bible study. I don't need, <laughs> it's sad. I, mean, I don't mean to laugh, but it's like pathetic. I'm just going to wing it, man. And I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to give me the words. And it's like, that, that's a sure way to set yourself up to slam. Because Jesus said, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And the hardworking farmer has to be the first to partake of the crops, to be nourished before he can go and nourish other people. Paul said it, remember how Paul put it? That which I've received from the Lord, that which I've given to you. Yeah, I trust in the Holy Spirit to give me what to say, but I'm, I'm putting in his word so that he brings it to remembrance. To trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, not to trust in my own strength, my own wisdom, my own flesh. But there has to be something put in the tank in order to operate. So crucial. But I think there's something else here. There's one, an alternate translation for this verse I saw, and it said, the farmer must first be hardworking in order to partake of the crops. That's true, because he's got to till up the soil, right? He's got to plant the seeds, make sure it's watered, make sure it's protected. Hard work done the right way brings results. Hard work done the right way brings results. All of the labor that goes into bringing forth the harvest is not just to sell. He partakes of it. And and Paul's saying to Timothy here also, work hard, don't quit. You will receive your reward in the end. And much of ministry is hard work. It's hard work. Much of ministry is that way. But so is the Christian life if we're doing it his way. Enduring hardship. When you choose to do it the Lord's way, what happens? People come against you. 
say stuff about you, shoot at you. But the Lord protects us. He is with us. If we don't allow him to defend us, what begins to happen? We defend ourselves, operate our own strength, we wipe out. But we look to him. It's hard. Jesus said right up front, if we've chosen to go the narrow way, it's difficult. It's going to be, hard. It's going to be difficult. But is it going to be worth it? How long is eternity? Forever and ever and ever. Where there is no more battle, the war is over. No more pain. No more suffering. No more tears. No more crying and sighing. But being with Jesus, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. What was it like being with Jesus every day? All we got to do is read the Gospels. Love, peace, joy, awesome. Can you imagine being in heaven? Unending love, uninterrupted love, uninterrupted peace, uninterrupted joy, because in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, pleasures forevermore. And we suck it up. We, we, man, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep the main thing, the main thing. We do it according to the rules. We do his work, his way. And we work hard and we plow and we sow seeds and we take in the nourishment that we need in order to bring forth fruit. And in the end, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant when we pass through the veil into eternity. One more verse because I got to shut it down. Verse 7. What does Timothy say? This is a Selah. You guys know what Selah is? You guys ever read the Psalms and you see like a little word Selah in like the margin? What is that? What is a Selah? What in the world is a Selah? Anybody say that in their Bibles? Check out Psalm 3 tonight when you get home. It's attached to where we are in 2 Samuel. Selah means to pause, to think about. It's in a psalm. It's in a song. Do you guys ever think about what you're singing? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We can't, can we sometimes just kind of go through the... Again, don't be lying in church. I know we've got to sing this song again. Who's it for? It's for Jesus, man. But you listen to what, we're, what you're saying, and then there's a cool riff, right? A little guitar solo or drums or box or whatever. That's a time to think about. That's a Selah. I'm thinking about what I just sang, what's being, what I'm communicating to the Lord, or what I'm learning about the Lord. And Paul is, this is a Selah right here. He says, what? Consider what I just told you. It's beautiful to, to, to leave a place that teaches the Word because you've been nourished in the Word and you've got something to think about. You know what I'm saying? I've been to, to many churches. You go in and it's like, wow, I was, I was really pumped up. I really feel good. That was amazing. Honey, what did we just hear? I don't know. What did you hear? What did he say? What was the passage he taught from? And Paul says to Timothy, consider what I say. Give this thought. That word consider means to think, to meditate, to, 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 
to embrace carefully. And Paul's hope and prayer and reminder is that what? Jesus will give you understanding in all things. Isn't that beautiful? Timothy, look to the Lord. For him to give you insight and enlightenment on how to apply this. That he would personally enable you to apply these things in your life. And, and I would say this morning, you know, for me, for us, maybe for you, it was for me. Just coming to my Jesus and saying, Lord, what is it in my life that will help me be more like a soldier? What is it in my life that will help me be more like the athlete? Lord, what, do you, what is it in my life that will help me be more like the hardworking farmer? Because really, Lord, you're the only one I want to please. You know, trying to please people, it's bondage, man. Can't do it. Can't even please yourself. There's only one person you need to please, and that's Jesus. And he says, consider what's been said, and ask the Lord to give you understanding in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing passage where you have us this morning. I pray, God, that you would give us understanding, that you would help us, each one of us, to take what we've heard, what we've read, Lord, we've taken in our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and that we would trust you, Lord, we would trust your word and take those steps of faith as you lead us that we too would be strong in grace. Forgive us, Lord, so often we can be such misers, so tight, being ungracious and unmerciful. God, help us. Help us, Lord. To make disciples, as you've called us to, to pass along these things that we've heard that we've heard from you, Lord Jesus, and that we wouldn't quit, that we would endure and press on, keeping the main thing the main thing. Lord, we're so easily distracted, but we keep our eyes on you, affixed upon you, not just glance once in a while, but to continually look unto you, Lord Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And this morning, as we're still in an attitude of prayer, as we finish our Bible study, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, maybe you've been listening this morning and you've never come to know Jesus personally. It's not an accident you're here. It's not a coincidence. Jesus loves you. He demonstrated his love for you and for me by coming and dying on the cross. For your sins and my sins, he suffered, he died, and was buried and rose again on the third day. And he offers forgiveness, eternal life, best of all, a relationship with him. And you come just as you are. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that includes you this morning. You come just as you are to Jesus. And if that's you, I would love to pray with you right now, right here. I'll lead you in a prayer. 
as you give your heart to Jesus. It is the most important decision you'll ever make. It's concerning your eternity and where you'll spend it. And if that's you this morning, let me pray with you. Would you raise up your hand? Let's pray together this morning if that's you. You raise up that hand. Anyone at all this morning? Anyone at all? Lord, thank you so much again for this special morning, this special time together. As we continue to worship you, may you be honored and blessed. And as we go forth on our way, Lord Jesus, would you fill us with your spirit? We want to be under your influence this day, trusting in your grace, your sufficiency, your strength, that we would bring you glory. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, your precious and holy name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right. May the Lord bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you in Jesus' name.